My name is Havla Cunnington, and um, I am, um, I am, my husband is here. He's the hot one over there. Stand up, love bug. There he is. That's the man. Ladies, he's taken. And um, anyway, we are uh, the new Moral Revolution directors at Bethel. Um, um, and so we, um, we are very excited about that. Uh, we just moved up there about three weeks ago and we have four sons. Um, there's a picture of us here and we have a, uh, a six-year-old Judah, a four-year-old Hudson, um, a 20-month-old Grayson and a four-month-old Beckham. And um, we don't fool around. Actually, we do. And that's why we have them. No, I'm teasing. Some of you will get that later, but anyway. We figured it out and we're not having any more children. We are having in-laws, so our in-laws or daughter-in-laws. So that's it. That's, that's my story. It's good to be here. How many were here last time I was here? Anybody? Okay, so good. So about half of you and then the rest of you, um, we will, uh, you'll get to know me a little bit more. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Help us. Thank you for your word. I'm so grateful, Lord, that we get to have the freedom to be in it. So help us tonight. And everyone said, amen. amen. How many of you enjoyed Ben Woodward and the band tonight? I, they were awesome. They are um, part of our church, The Rock, in Roseville. And um, I, I love Ben. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate that. I'm, I mentor Ben on a, on a regular basis. And any anointing you feel really has been a part of my really um, just deposit in his life. I don't want to be arrogant, but we'll leave it at that. No, I'm teasing. I'm totally kidding. Okay, Matthew. I'm sorry. I, I'm in a, a little wild mood. We actually have been here. We drove from Reading um, this morning, and I spoke at, at Mercy Ministries. I don't know if anybody's heard of Murder, Mercy Ministries with a woman named Al, Nancy Alcorn, and she has uh, ministries all over this, like homes all over the state, and so I went in and talked to about 40 girls this morning, and they're, re they're just rescued out of being maybe trafficked or uh, addiction or just need a place to go, and so we went and talked to them and um, got our, a speeding ticket on the way here. That was pretty cool. So we prayed that God would slay the officer in the spirit at that moment. <laughs> How many of you have prayed for things like that? Jesus, just get them. Like, what happened? So it's called consequences. Um, Matthew chapter 14. How many of you love the word? I love the word. I'm grateful for the word. There is a man between the pages, between the words. There's a man, Jesus, and we are finding who he is. You know, I think about, I was about 17 years old, and I was at a conference and at the conference, there was about 4,000 people that were supposed to be at this conference. And uh, one of the leaders there had asked me to do a testimony of what had happened in my life. I was seven, the long story short was that I was 17 and I uh, was a Christian kid, but very much on my own journey and hadn't really been saved. You know, it's hard to say when, you, when you've been raised in church, it's kind of sometimes hard to put your finger on when you were saved. It's not like, man, I was rescued from drugs at three. It was crazy, you know? Like God set me free and I never smoke another cigarette after four. It was just, so it's, it's sometimes difficult when you're raised in church. And, and so I remember at 17, really being up and down with the Lord and not quite sure uh, if I had really gone for God all the way. And uh, at 17, and some guys had picked us up to go to a party. We get in the car that night and we're going from one party to the next party. And all I can say is that the Holy Spirit comes in the car. That's as clear as I can say it. My heart began to beat. 
And the Lord began to say something so clear to me. He said, Havilah, I've called you to more than this. And I could feel my heart beating and I, and I just asked the guys in the car, just awkwardly, can you turn the music down? I didn't know what I was gonna say. Um, I wish that I had had it all worked out, but I didn't. And I just said, uh, hey, I don't know about you, but I have a call on my life. It was awkward. And um, I said, um, I have a call in my life. I, am, I wanna live for God and you're welcome to do, come with me, but this is what I'm gonna do. Um, you can imagine it was a total buzzkill in the car. And uh, at this point, I'm, I'm impacted by the Holy Spirit. I begin to cry. I'm, I'm being impacted. I begin to cry, tears are going down my face. And I, I said, you can go with me, but this is what I'm gonna do. I look over at my sister, I have an identical twin sister, and I look over her to see what she's thinking, and she's crying. So we're both having this moment. I always laugh about it because we never ask the guys to take us home, they just took us home, which I think is hilarious. They're like, let's get these girls home. This is not gonna be good. And uh, so I remember being dropped off late that night and went into our room that night and we're crying and we said a simple prayer, God, we're not much, we're young, we're girls. We don't have any special giftings or graces that we specifically can see on our lives, but if you can use anyone, you can use me. Anybody ever said a prayer like that? And we said it with all our heart, we meant it. And sometimes when you say those kind of prayers, how many of you wish that the heavens would open at that moment? Just, you know, and just, how many of you pray, God, just an angel, you have plenty, just one. Just show me one angel and I'll, I'll do the rest, right? Anybody ever have those moments? And nothing, but you know, God heard that cry and God began to awaken our hearts. And so this pastor had heard about our story and, and heard that we were really wanting to be touched by God and God was really touching our lives. And so he asked me to do a testimony. Have you ever committed to something before you realize what you've committed to, <laughs> right? So in the morning, it sounded great. Well, by the afternoon, as thousands of people are piling into this room, it's feeling more and more not God, you know? <laughs> And by the end, I'm thinking, I do not want to do this. I don't want to do this. Well, it's not just that I don't want to do it. I literally have fear grip me. This sense of fear, it grips me and I begin to panic. I'm about to get up in front of 4,000 people and share my story and it's the last thing I want to do. So I run out of this building, we're in LA, and I go behind the building and I am now in full-blown panic. I can't do this, I can't do this, I don't wanna do this. I'm, you know, I'm 17, doesn't God do somebody else? And I'm having this moment and um, panicked. You ever had a panic attack before? I mean, a real full-blown, I can't do this. But remember, the number one fear in America and in any, with anybody is public speaking. Huge fear. You can't fake it. It's very awkward, especially in front of, you know, we have a lot of fear. And at 17, you're even more fearful. So I walk around the building and pretty soon my dad comes looking for me. And my dad um, is a pastor at that point. And he comes looking for me and I'm, I'm in the corner and back of this building, worship's going on. I know I'm about to get up in a few minutes and I'm in a panic. And so he comes over to me and I remember him walking straight up to me and he grabbed me by the shoulders and he began to just hit me. No, I'm teasing, he didn't. Gotcha. That's horrible, that's horrible. He grabs me by the shoulders and he looks at me in the face and he says this, Havala, if you don't look as, at, like, at fear as your enemy, it will eventually defeat you. If you don't look at fear as your enemy, it will eventually defeat you. And I remember when he said it to me, I, I could feel the spirit of God speaking to me through his words. And I knew he was right. 
And when he said it, I, I took a deep breath and I began to look at that fear as it was something that was gonna paralyze me and it was gonna be the enemy to my future and to what God had for me. And I got, I got all the courage I could and I walked out there and I did my testimony, if you will, in front of those people. And God, from that moment on, began to use my life. And it was, I, it was a, a breaking moment in my life. I remember it was, it was pivotal. It was that moment when God began to, to open doors for me. But it was a, a moment of courage. But I think about that, that fear gripped my life at that moment. But the enemy had been working on fear in my life long before that. You see, when I was growing up, I had a lot of learning disabilities. I was horrible at school, horrible at school. I was not good at reading and writing. I couldn't even read my own writing, which is a problem. And I was horrible at being in front of anybody. And so I was extra social and extra just social and loud because I didn't want anyone to know that I was a horrible failure at school humiliated. I remember there were times when the teacher would ask us to read out loud and I would count the people before it was my turn. Anybody ever done that? Just because you want to make sure you've read it a couple times. And without a doubt, I would always say the wrong thing and the class would chuckle and I would be humiliated. I would have that sense. And it got so bad that in my high school years, the teacher would ask us to get up and do speeches and I would just automatically take a zero. I didn't even want to try. Anybody ever done I'll just take a zero. I'll do extra credit another way, but I don't want to be up in front of people. And the enemy began to lie to me that there was something wrong with me. Something was wrong with me. I had a twin who was very good at, at, at being educated and reading and doing all that stuff, and I wasn't. And so I was the one that always felt like I didn't have enough. There was something wrong with me. I couldn't quite get it together. And so I remember telling God so simply, God, you have the wrong twin. We look a lot alike, I get it. I'll give you some grace. But you have the wrong twin. I am not the twin you wanna use. I'm still on that yellow brick road. I'm still looking for my brain, you know? Give me a brain and you can use me. And I remember feeling this, this panic and I remember going to the altar before God and weeping and crying and saying, God, I have absolutely nothing to give you. I am the wrong person. And the enemy began to work in fear in my life in such a way that he wanted to paralyze me. And I wanna tell you something tonight, and that is this. The enemy has been working on fear in your life for a long time. And he not only, does he not only want you to have fear in your life, he wants to paralyze you, that you would never be a light to your generation, that you would never be a light to your family, that you would never be a voice of one shouting in the darkness and in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. He wants to shut you up. And if he can't shut you up, by your own weakness that you already have. He'll shut you up with shame. He'll shut you up with condemnation. He'll shut you up with thinking that somehow you are the one that can't quite get a victory in your life like everybody else. And if people really knew what your mind was like and what your heart was like, and the things that you think about and the things you struggle with and nobody would ever believe that you could be used of God. And I wanna tell you something, until you look at fear as your greatest enemy, it will eventually defeat you. It will eventually defeat you. You say, Havila, what do I need courage for? We're gonna talk about that. You see, all of us, all of us have our moment in our spiritual life when we get out of the boat and we walk towards Jesus. Whether it be the moment of salvation or the moment of calling, we all have to get out of the boat and we all have to walk alone and we have to walk in courage. And no one can do it for you.
And I am one to tell you tonight that I understand fear. I understand being paralyzed by fear. I know what it's like to not do things and miss things in God because I was so afraid that I couldn't pull it off, that I would rather take a zero. And let me say this, there are too many godly young men and young women that are taking zeros in the spirit because they're too afraid to blow it. There are too many of you in this room, and I was one of them, that just took a zero in the spirit because I was too afraid that God or that people would not take me serious. And some of you, you feel like you're the last person God wants to use, and I wanna tell you something. If God can use a mule, he can use you. And he wants your life to matter. He knew what he was getting when he got you. He's not afraid of what he has in you. He's not afraid of your own struggles. He's not afraid of the things that you battle with or the, the areas that you wanna see freedom and victory in. He's not afraid of that. But until you're honest about your own paralyzing fear in your own life, you will never see freedom. Let's get to this in the Bible. Peter, how many of you love Peter in the Bible? How many of you are a Peter? You're like, that's me, I have a hard time. My mouth is, a, is, a, is an issue. I, 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 I don't have that, but I could imagine. <laughs> I could imagine. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 says this. How many of you are there? Just say amen. Amen, it says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. How many of you know, we just sometimes need to get away from people to hear from God? Hopefully not right now. Verse 24, but the boat was already, consider when the, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them and walked on the lake. Now they believe, scholars believe that that was a three mile walk. Jesus walking on the lake towards the boat, three miles going against the wind towards his disciples. Walking on the lake, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried in fear. Tonight I wanna challenge you and I wanna talk about the importance of courage in your life. The importance of the next step of courage in your life. You see, courage is an essential trait to a Christ follower. You're not gonna get where you need to go without courage. And it's not only an essential trait, it's something that has to be cultivated. It has to be worked on. It has to be deliberate. It has to be something that you think about when you wake up, how am I gonna grow in courage today? How am I gonna do something that I'm not comfortable doing, but I'm gonna see growth in? God also commands it, Joshua 1.9. He says, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do not fear. He said, have I not commanded you to be strong, courageous? Do not be afraid. I love this thought. He says, when you're afraid, 
Don't be afraid. Which means this, you are gonna have fear in your life. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a leader, I've been a leader for a while, I've been a pastor for a while, I've been around a lot of people, done a lot of things, but at the end of the day, I still struggle with fear. You say, well, how do you struggle with fear? I mean, you're the one with the mic, you're the one that's studying the Bible, I mean, you should have some victory. I have victory, guess what? I do it afraid. That's my, that's courage. Courage is doing it afraid. Some of you are waiting for courage to take over so you'll never have fear again and you'll just get, I just, I wanna prophesy but I haven't had the courage yet. Guess what, it's not coming. It's not coming. Because why? Because God's not interested in you being confident in yourself. He's interested in you relying upon him. I have four boys. You think that that's, I'm not scared to raise four men? Boys are gross. Boys are wild. I love boys. I'm not, again, I wanted boys, trust me. I grew up in a girl home. I had a sister, I had a mom, I had an Italian dad who's almost a girl. And I had no boys in my life. And so I'm learning what boys are like. When a boy says, oh, gross, you are not to ask what they, that they are looking at. How many of you know that? When a boy says, oh, that's so gross, that is not like, oh, look, I spilt some juice. When a boy says, oh, gross, it is another level of grossness. A girl says, oh, gross, you can ask. A boy says, oh, gross, do not ask. Just, that's just a hint. But you're gonna need courage in your life. There's no way around it. And I need courage in my life. I need courage what it, how to be a good mom. I need courage how to be a good wife. I need courage on how to be married for the rest of my life to the same man. Come on. Because I need work, not you. I need courage on how to be a woman in, in, in leadership. I need courage on how to make sure that I'm doing the right thing at the right time. You see, fear is a gripping emotion. Fear wants you to be paralyzed by it and it wants to grip you in such a way. And fear is one of those that I have found that a spirit of fear can come on you and you don't know it. And when you allow fear in your life, it gives you a false sense that you actually can control it. Right? Well, I don't wanna do that. I don't really wanna go there. I'm not gonna do it. You know what? The moment you let fear in your life start to control your decisions, your, the, the, the span of what it controls gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. How many of you have ever found that? And so you're gonna have to take territory in your life. You're gonna have to look at your life and say, this is my world and fear's not allowed in it. And when fear tries to come in, I have to get that fear out of that as fast as possible because there's no way I can go forward with fear attached to me. I'm not gonna gain the ground I need to gain. Some of you are called to have huge ministries, but you're, too, you're scared to get on a mic. Some of you are called to have a prayer ministry, but you're scared to pray. Some of you are called to have healing ministries, but you're scared to pray for somebody who's sick. Yeah. 
Come on. Some of you are, are called to talk to men, but you're scared of what guys think of you. Some of you with women, but you're scared of what a woman thinks of you. Come on. Some of us, we all have hurdles that God's calling us to get over, but we can't get over that until we realize that it is an enemy. Peter has an opportunity to go forward. Now, remember, Peter is gonna have some failures in his life. Denying Christ as he's on the cross was not the highest moment of his life. But Peter was also the man that addressed an entire crowd on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two and got up and said, this is what's going on. So some of us will have moments of great fear. Fear led Peter into denying Christ. But the second time he got it right. And some of us have that experience as well. Hopefully not denying him, but, but that, that fear will cause failure in our lives. So as we look at this story and we look at this, we have to understand that we cannot retreat from fear. It's an essential step to being any fulfilled promise. You have promises in your life. You want a godly marriage, hopefully. You want godly kids. You wanna be successful in your workplace. You wanna be a leader among your peers. You wanna make sure that who you are, you say what you are, who you are, you, you are. That does not make sense, let's try that again. What you say you are, you are. Well, listen, that's gonna require courage. There's no way around it. And so you're gonna have to do it afraid. You're gonna have to ask the Lord and you're gonna have to be committed to 100% obedience in your life. You're gonna have to be committed to 100% obedience in your life. Just like I'm committed to 100% integrity to my marriage. I'm committed to it. I have to focus on it. I have to, just like he does with, my, with me, we have to look at it and we have to build something. You as well will have to do that. Romans 8, 24 through 25 says, for in this we hope we are saved, but hope, is, but hope that is seen is not hope at all who hopes for what they already have. But if hope for what we do not have yet, we wait patiently for it. We have to risk on, the, on things unseen. You're gonna have to risk things in your life on things that are unseen. You say, well, I have to see it. Well, then your life's gonna be very small. Your spiritual life. I've quit jobs. I've said no to paychecks. I've said no to positions. I've said no to uh, areas that I thought God was leading. And I said, no, 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 because in courage, God was saying, I have something ahead of you. And some of you right now, you feel like God has put a blinder on you and you feel like, what do I need to do next? I, I don't know what, God, are you playing games with me? No, he's growing your courage. You said, but I want to see it, God. I mean, how many of you, I remember being single and, and just wanting to be married. I wasn't crazy about being married, but I'd like to be married because we all have normal parts of our lives and bodies that would like to be married, right? <laughs> Come on. And I wanted to be married. And I remember just saying, you know, God, I don't care. Just tell me who I'm going to marry and I'll be, I'll be pure, right? Give me a glimpse, and then I'll just be pure for that person. I'll wait seven years, but as long as I can see it. It takes courage to say, God, you get my sex life, you get my physical life, and I don't know who you're gonna give me. I'm gonna trust you. That takes courage. 
It takes courage to say, I'm not gonna date somebody because I just wanna feel good about myself and use that person. Instead, I'm gonna pull back and I'm gonna respect every person around me and give them the respect that if I'm not gonna marry you, I'm not gonna date you. Because I'm taking something from you that belongs to somebody else one day. That takes courage. That doesn't mean you have to, everyone you date, you have to be willing to marry. Please hear me. What I'm saying is if you know that that person is not your spouse and you're clear on that, don't waste their time. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's selfish. I'm not looking at anybody. <laughs> it's selfish. It takes courage to say, God, I give that to you. And you know what? The way I see it is good meat takes time, needs marination. Come on. Good meat needs to be marinated. So it's just getting better. It's just getting better. Some of you are like, I got my word. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you need courage to, to where you're at. You're at a cubicle every day and it is exhausting. You're like, I'm gonna die in this cubicle. I, I'm gonna, I, there's something wrong. I, can't, I don't like this. You know why? Because you're having courage that God sees you where you are. And that anytime he wants to pull you out of where you are, guess what, he can. You see, either we're gonna believe that God is who he says he is and he can do what he said he can do or we're not. If we have to be places and position ourselves to get God to notice us, then that's an exhausting journey. But if we can sit back and encourage, say, God, when you say come, I will come. And when you say don't go, I don't go. There's a lot of peace that comes from that. But we have to work on that. We have to be willing to live in that. I think about the, as we go on in this story, that we have to fix our eyes on the unseen. We have to risk on, the, on our eternal success. I, we have to risk on our eternal success that something's ahead of us. We may not know what it is, but something is ahead of us. Listen, I, I, I promise you this. Just please hear me on this. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. I, I have lived this. And I will tell you this. If you risk on the unseen that your eternal value matters, then the natural things that you want in your life will come to you. But you have to sow seeds into things that you can't see yet. You have to. And you have to be okay with it. You have to be okay with giving yourself to things that seem very simple. Simple. But if you do it, it'll be worth it. The word, simple. Worship, simple. Keeping a pure heart, not so simple, but sh should be simple. Renewing the mind. Doing those things that are in front of you to do, you do them well, and you, it takes courage to do that. Why should we renew our mind? This is something I've asked myself a lot. This is a little bonus. Why do we renew our mind? Biblically. Does anybody know? 
You can shout it out, I don't care. I won't hurt you. Does anybody know why we renew the mind? To, to think good thoughts, right, maybe? So that our minds are purified with maybe a, a thought? Listen, in, in Romans it talks about the reason we renew our mind is so that we know the perfect will of God for our lives. So the reason that we renew the thoughts that are at, coming at us and we go, all the things that are coming at us, we renew those thoughts is so that we know the perfect will of God for our lives. You're not gonna know the will of God in an unrenewed mind. You have too many motives. But if you continue to renew your mind and encourage, go after the thoughts, go after the heart, go after the mind, come on, go after the way that we live in the simplicity of being a Christ follower and we encourage, do what's in front of us. The Bible says if we faint not, we will reap a harvest. See, God is so good that he'll give you things you didn't even know you wanted. That's how good God is. God, listen, God will give you things. Did anybody hear me? God will give you things you didn't even know you wanted. That's how good he is. He's got it all worked out. He knows everything you need. He knows the spouse you need. He knows what you need to do for your work. He knows what you need to do to, to feel completely fulfilled and satisfied. He knows what's up ahead of you. He knows how you need to raise your kids. He knows how to spend your money, how to invest your money. He knows all of it. He is not hiding it from you, but he's saying, will you trust me and courage to sow in the unseen that you cannot see yet? And in this season of your life, in these 20s, early 30s, early teen, late teens, this is when we get stuck. We forget that these things matter. And we blow our lives up and people marry the wrong people. Come on. They get in the wrong job. They go to school for the wrong thing and then they figure it out. And then they have mounds of debt. And it's because sometimes courage is just actually being at peace and sitting still for a while. Some of you just need to sit still. I was me. Just, just sit still for a minute, Havala. Let me talk to you. It takes courage. It takes courage when we don't have any other options but trust. Amen? The only way to stand against the devil is through courage. I love what Ephesians 6, 10 through 11 says, be, finally be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. So you can stand against the devil's schemes. That word schemes in the Greek means investigations. Means the enemy is investigating your life. He's watching you. He's been, he is, listen, the enemy cannot read your mind. How many of you are grateful for that? How many of you, that's a new thought? Enemy cannot read your mind. He can read your actions. And he's been following you for a long time and he's been watching what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And he will align things and, and bank on your sense of how you do life. And that's how he'll trip you up. And so the only way that we can stand against the enemy's schemes is we have to understand that he's been investigating us for a long time and he knows what works and he is going to use fear to paralyze you. And I think about this reality. Peter's sitting in the boat and all of a sudden Jesus 
comes on the water, and the first thing his friends say to him is, it's a ghost. My question to you is, who's in your boat? Who are your boat buddies? Because I have found that most of the time the crowd will definitely validate your fear. You know, I got to a point where my mom was like, isn't there any man you could marry just right now? I was, when I was young, it was like, we just believe, just set yourself apart. By 25, it was like, is there anybody? I was like, mom, stop it. I'm still, I'm still pretty cute. Give me a chance, you know? I'm, at least I think I am. And, you know, and I remember that thing where you have people in your boat that all of a sudden you are too old and you are not good enough and you are not, you know, you shouldn't have done that and they'll remind you of that. And, and all these things, you've got to find out who's in your boat. And some of you need to be in a kayak for a while. <laughs> I just thought of that. That's funny. Some of you need to be in a kayak for a while. You don't know what to do, you're panicked, don't call your friends. They don't know, they can barely figure out what they're gonna have for dinner. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing with their life. Don't call your friends. Ask God, what do you want me to do? And if it's fear that comes first, well, if you do that, you know who's gonna think that? Well, if you do that, you know, you don't know how it's gonna happen after that. Well, you know what, if you try that, guess what, people are gonna think you're arrogant. That's fear. What would happen if you actually just tried it? If it's pride, listen, God has a system for anything that's wrong, that's not, that's wrong, he'll make it right. Some of us, we, we're like the, I feel like we're like the police of character sometimes in our life, in, in the Christian lives. Do you ever feel that way? Well, if it's pride, well, listen, God has a system. Guess what? There's a fall coming. He figured it out already. So if it's really pride and you really want God's will, just be okay with falling. I've gotten up and I've spoken and there's been stuff in my life and I've been embarrassed and had a horrible time. There's been stuff, I've gotten up and spoken and had stuff in my life and it's been great. And there's no, I don't know why. There's been times when I've had the purest of heart, got up and spoke, it was horrible. I've had, I've had a pure heart, got up and spoke, and it was great. Because that, it's not enough. It's about you being courageous to do what's in front of you. And the order of success is not how great it was, but if you did it. You see, God is looking at if you do it or not. He's not looking at the end result so much. Remember the man, the story of the man that came to a businessman and he said, listen, I need work, what can I do? And the businessman said, I want you to take this pile of rocks and I want you to move it to this part of the yard and I want you to move the rocks to that side all day. So the guy got up and he started to move those rocks all day long. It was hot, it was sweaty. He took the rocks and he moved it from each side all day long, back and forth, all, took this huge pile. And at the end of the day, the guy said to him, okay, I saw what you did. Now I want you to be the CEO of my company. I want you to run it. I saw that you're willing to be obedient and do everything I asked you to do without wondering why. And I saw what kind of man you were. Excellent. And that's what God does to us. 
Listen, that is what God, I guarantee it. This is what God does to us. He says, okay, Havilah, you have a call in your life. You wanna do great things for me? Great, show up at the prayer meeting. But God, there's only five people there. Just show up. Okay, I'll, I'll go. Get there, headache, not a good prayer meeting. Leave, really God, you couldn't show up. Couldn't do something to c- confirm that it was a good idea. Right? Because we're always looking for like that confirmation that, you know, somebody saw us. So maybe the pastor will be there. At least they'll see me, you know. And at the end of the day, God is taking note. And he's saying, are you going to move the rocks? And not by in a fear that it doesn't really count or that it doesn't really matter. Or are you just going to do it? I don't think leaders are specifically just amazing people. Like, wow, they're the leader, they're the one. I had a lot of great people around me in high school and college that were pretty phenomenal, that should have been amazing leaders. But it was those that just continued to show up and do the right thing that they became good leaders. Are you, that's what courage is. I'm gonna keep going. So listen, we have to boldly respond to circumstances. Let's continue in, in Matthew chapter 14. But Jesus immediately said to them, remember after the boat buddies said, it's a ghost, and they panicked. Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Sometimes when the first, the, the thing we're about to take, a, a step of faith in our life, the first thing God will say to us is, don't be afraid. We'll hear it during worship. We'll hear it during a prayer meeting. We'll hear it during our quiet time. You'll go, I don't know what to do. And you, you want direction and God only says, don't be afraid. You go, well, what do I do? He goes, just don't be afraid. And we have to sit in that for a while and it's uncomfortable, but he's getting it to say, he's saying something to Peter. In verse 28, he says, Lord, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, he replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And he said to Peter, come. I wanna say something prophetically to some of you tonight. Some of you, you are in the boat right now and you have said, God, if you tell me to come, I'll come. And God said, come, and you said, I'm not ready. And some of you, God said, you said, well, if you tell me to come, if you, if you show me a sign and God shows you a sign, you go, hmm, I'm not really ready. Listen. God will not kick you out of the boat. He'll invite you. He'll invite you, but you gotta be willing to go. Then he says this. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But then when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out, save me, save me. Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down and those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Truly, you're the son of God. So exposing paralyzing fear, we gotta get out of the boat, we gotta do it afraid. So how do we grow in courage? Courage doesn't just come by accident, it's deliberately developed. Courage does not come by accident, it's deliberately developed. Every time I get up to speak, whether it's a small group or a large group, whether it's 10 people or it's 1,000 people, 
I will tell you every time, and I don't know if every pastor experiences this, but I do. The moment I'm about to get up, I have this, I don't wanna do it. I don't wanna do it. I can get my car right now and go. I just wanna go. Cause I, I don't, it's not a comfortable like, here I am, woo! You know, I don't have that experience. It's terrifying. God, I think you forgot who you're dealing with. I have that moment. But I have deliberately developed my courage. I've prophesied over thousands of people. How did I do it? Practice. Every spiritual gift can be practiced. Every spiritual gift can grow. You might have a gift of discernment. How many of you have discernment? You, you walk into a place and something doesn't feel right. Right? Something wrong with you. You have a gift of discernment. You get around somebody, you go, I just don't like them. I don't know what it is. Something's not right. Right? Usually, discerning people are very critical people because it's a gift that's used in the wrong way. You go, I just feel like I'm a critical person. No, you're probably pretty prophetic. You just have never had that cultivated in your life to understand what's really going on. Right? So you have to practice that. Here's, here's my story. My dad was a prophetic man. I grew up in meetings like this and my dad would prophesy over people one by one, give words. I sat in, the, in there and I thought I was the only person that couldn't hear God. Anybody ever been in those meetings? I was the only person that couldn't hear God. My dad would spend hours, people would go home, get their, pa- their, their husband, bring him back, and they would line up until two or three in the morning and he would prophesy until he couldn't prophesy anymore over each person. So I grew up in this environment where he heard God all the time. He heard God in such a way that when I was a kid, I got a new salty, salty tape. I wanted to listen to it. He told me no. We all went to bed. I listened to the tape. He comes downstairs opens the door and says, God told me you were listening to this. You're in trouble, go to the bathroom. In high school, I'm watching TV. I'm watching something I shouldn't be watching. Phone rings, pick up the phone. Hi dad, hey, where are you? I'm on the East Coast, what's going on? God woke me up and said, you're watching something you shouldn't be watching. You don't lie. At that point, you don't lie because you don't know what's going on. Well, I don't know, listen, Havilah. I did not want to be woken up. So if you're watching something you shouldn't be watching, could you stop watching it? Yes, dad. Okay, bye. So I grew up in this environment. I remember one other time getting in the car. There's a man on a porch. His name is Joe. He's wearing blue. We're getting in the car. Let's go find him. Go to the porch, find Joe, lead Joe to the Lord. That was how I grew up. So I'm in this environment of very spiritually alive and I was the girl who couldn't hear God. And so I would always kind of felt embarrassed by it. I always thought that somebody had, in order to hear God, somebody had to pray over you and the ears would be opened, right? Like there'd be some kind of radio station that I wasn't quite listening to and then I would hear him. I almost think it's a bit of a disservice to the body of Christ because that's not how it works. You can't just lay hands on somebody, let them hear God's voice. I hear God's voice. Listen, you already hear God's voice. Each of you already hear his voice. It's turning it up to hear it, and that takes practice, but I guarantee each of you are hearing his voice like any other great leader is hearing God's voice. So I didn't know that I could hear God's voice, and I wasn't sure, but one time I went to a conference, and God was really showing up, and this guy says to us, um, I feel like you're supposed to, to my sister, I feel like you're supposed to pray over me. Well, my sister is like, yeah, nice pickup line. You know, this is what we say at conferences. I feel like you're supposed to pray over me. 
So she comes up to me and she's like, this guy wants me to lay hands and pray over him. And I'm like, no, you avoid that man, you know, because that's what sisters do. And girls are good at avoiding. Amen. So we, I, I, every, every meeting we would avoid this guy, you know, he'd be like around and we're like, there he is. Okay, over here, let's go over this way. And, and so at the end of the conference, it's two in the morning and we're in a gym just like this. And she looks at me, she's like, we avoided this guy. This was great. We did it. And we're like, okay, that's good. We turn around and the guy's like, hey, it's the last night. Can you pray for me? We're like, oh, okay. So of course we say, we're not leadership, but we'll bring a leadership person over with us and we'll pray for you. So we lay hands on the guy and we start to pray. The, the friend next to me says, Havilay, you have something for this guy. You need to say it. At that moment, all I can think of is McDonald's fries. I was hungry, right? Anybody ever had that? You're like, what am I gonna eat after this meeting? If you're thinking that right now though, that's wrong. We'll talk about that later. So I get, I get nothing. She goes, I just, just say whatever comes to your head. And I'm like, I have nothing. I have nothing. And the hard thing with prophecy is you can't really fake it. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to fake prophecy. So I'm like, I don't have anything. So she goes, just close your eyes and just say whatever comes to you. So I close my eyes and the first name that I get is Daniel. The name Daniel. No, that's not true. The first name I get is Shadrach. That's what I get. And uh, I'm like, Shadrach, that's a rough word, but okay. And my thought was, well, this guy deserves a wrong word anyway. He's been tormenting us. <laughs> so if it's not the right word, he can have it. So I look at him and I just said, I, I feel like the name Shadrach over you. The guy bursts into tears and falls to the ground. Yeah, I'm like, this, this is working. This is unbelievable. <laughs> So, and I, and so I'm like, wow, okay. So all of a sudden he gets up and I'm like, well, that was really good. And he says, hey, we pray for my buddy. So I go, okay. So we pray for his buddy. And my friend says, I think you have something else. I'm like, could you pick somebody else, please? I had an amazing ministry last time. Let's leave it alone. And he goes, uh, I go, all I get is Meshach. And I'm like, I'm not saying Meshach. It's in the same chapter, God. <laughs> you gotta give me something else. This guy's gonna know that I only read a little portion of the word and it's gonna feel awkward. But again, I'm like, this guy kinda deserves it. So I said, Shadrach, guy, falls to the ground weeping. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I might have the gift of names. <laughs> right, this is pretty cool. So the next guy lines up. Now there's a line that's happening and I, it's the last thing I want. I'm like, no, no lines, we don't want this. We want everyone to leave. And um, so we get the next guy. Guess what name I get? Abendigo. So I'm like, who cares anymore? So I go, it's Abendigo. Guy cries, falls to the ground. So the next guy comes up and I get the name Daniel. So I'm like, okay, well, that sounds at least a little more normal. And so I tell him Daniel, he cries. They're all weeping, hugging, hold, holding each other. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. And um, at the end of it, they all come up, their faces are all puffy and sweat crying, and they go, you probably hear this all the time. <laughs> they go, but we had a prophet come to our church, and he called all four of us up, and he said, you're a Daniel, and you're a Meshach, and you're a Shadrach, and you're an Abednego. I said, yeah, I do hear it all the time. Thank you for <laughs> confirming that. 
I'm teasing. I was like, that's unbelievable. And at that moment, God began to show me that I heard his voice. I did not know that. I'm running out of time, but I will tell you this part. We go home and tell my dad that we heard, we heard God. He leaves the dining room table, comes back, it's breakfast time, and he goes, I got you a speaking engagement in Utah next month. 17 years old, not cool. We get to Utah and um, when we get there, we're greeted by the pastor and he says, I have heard so many good things about you, but primarily I heard that you guys prophesy. And we're really excited about that. And we're like, we don't prophesy. I mean, I'm like, that happened one night. That was a great night, but that happened one night. So he's telling us, we're 17, we're looking at our dad and we're like, we're gonna kill you in Jesus' name. And so we get out, we leave the place and he, and oh, so we look at him and the first thing I can think of is I just said, well, if the Lord leads, because that's a good Christian out. If you wanna get out of something, you just say if the Lord leads and then you just say he didn't lead and you leave. I'm just giving you some hints. So I say to him, well, if the Lord leads, and he goes, well, I really hope the Lord does lead because we told these kids and they're very excited. Total panic. So we get out in the car and we're like, we're gonna kill you, dad. We can't believe you told this guy. And he goes, well, I just thought, I got excited and I thought maybe you would. And we're like, maybe we would. We don't even know how. Like, I don't know what we're supposed to do. So we get to our host home and we leave the house. We're so mad. We leave the house. We get to this park on a hill in Utah. We have our Bibles. We're 17 and a half at this point. And we're just discouraged because you can't fake prophecy. We're like, they're gonna know. It's gonna, they're gonna know in a little bit. So we are panicked, oops, sorry, Jesus, and we're panicked. And um, so we get on this thing and we're crying and we're overwhelmed and we're like, this is horrible. And um, so we begin to just like, well, let's just worship. So we're starting to worship and pretty soon we're like dancing around this park, show your power and mothers are grabbing their kids and walking by and we're like, we don't care, you know, we just, God, show up, do something. We get there that night and the youth pastor says to us, you wouldn't believe it. We were expecting like 60 kids, 130 kids have showed up to see you guys. We're like, that is the worst news ever. <laughs> That's horrible. And uh, long story short, we, we start to minister and at the end of it, um, I look over at my sister and uh, it was really funny because she preaches this message. And if you've never preached a message, she has 14 pages, she's done it in exactly six minutes. <laughs> And then she leans over to me and says, Havilah's gonna sing a song and sing this song that she wrote. Well, meanwhile, the sound system was out. And so I have nothing but these little speakers on a little Casio keyboard and I'm singing that I know bless the enemy more than the Lord at that moment. And I'm singing and then I say these words. If anybody feels God, I want you just to stand and I want you to come forward. Not because I felt God, but because I thought maybe they could lay hands on me at that moment. <laughs> And they stand up, three-fourths of the room stand up and come forward, crying, weeping, God's in the room. And we just begin to just pray over people and get a word and just simply. But I learned early on that courage is something you have to get out of the boat and do. I could have easily told the guy, I'm not, I'm not, I don't prophesy, I don't do it, get somebody else. But sometimes you kind of have to fake it till you make it in the spirit. That's not in the Bible, but I just mean that. <laughs> Sometimes you have to, listen, you're not gonna be a leader until you start acting like a leader. You're not gonna be a great wife 
if you're not gonna start acting like a great wife, meaning if you're not, if you're not a godly person, don't expect a marriage to turn you godly. Excellent. Don't expect a position to turn you godly. Amen. Don't expect a friend to make you godly. Yeah. Who you are is what you are and you get to own that. Yeah. And so it takes courage to say, I'm on my own here, God, help me, I'm yours. So I wanna end with this thought. He gets out of the boat and he goes towards God and God begins to promise him, listen, come, it's me. And he began to go before the Lord. And as he began to walk towards him, he had doubt. And there are some of you in this room, you have made a huge move towards God. You've been courageous. You left the woman. You quit the job. You said goodbye to a certain friend. You gave the money. And you're looking at the face of God and then reality's hitting you. And you're getting older. And you're a little more broke than you expected. And they're not as cute as you once remembered them. <laughs> and no one seems to be recognizing you. And I would tell you this. The moment you start to give into those lies, you will start to sink. And you'll sink into despair. Fear will turn into despair in your life. And you'll start to wonder if it ever really mattered and if it ever really counted. And I wanna tell you something tonight and that is this. The Lord wants you to know that it all counts. And even if you can't see it at this very moment, his eyes have been on you a long time. And if you're willing to grow in courage, you will see greater things than you could have ever imagined in your life. Amen?